You, and instead, you'll just kind of go with the flow, whether it's at work or with your friends or in school. You're just going to want to blend in, and sometimes you'll do things you know is wrong just so that you don't, you don't stand out. But to be a Christian is to stand out. We reflect God's glory, his light in the world. So how is your light? What is your testimony telling people? Do you stand out for Christ by what, what you do? Then we are to identify with Christ by declaring his truth. Paul says in Romans 10, 14, he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Each of us are going to go to make disciples, right? All of us, every one of us has been given that mission by, by Jesus to go make disciples of all nations. And at some point, you must articulate the gospel. If, if you have a great testimony and you are, you are living, like doing good works and, and you are being a light, they can see that you're different, you're standing out, but you never articulate the gospel to someone. How can they believe? How can they believe in the gospel that they've never heard? They can tell there's something different about you. You might have earned their respect, but you must you come to a point where you articulate the gospel. And I think many of us stop short of this point. You know, maybe you have that friend, that coworker, that sibling that needs to hear the gospel. And, and you, you keep thinking, well, I'm just going to live a, a very good Christian life in front of them to show them what it looks like. But that's not enough. That's, that's great. But you, you must continue and, and to the point where you share the gospel, you articulate it for them, that they may have an opportunity to believe. We cannot, in fear, keep silent. So Paul is reminding us that we cannot be ashamed of the testimony of Jesus. And then the third thing, though, is that we are told that to identify with Christ's people. Uh, he says in verse 8 there that, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. He says, do not be ashamed of me, Timothy. And it's interesting that Paul's there in prison, and he doesn't consider himself a prisoner of Rome. I love that. Because who does he say he's a prisoner of? Of me, his prisoner, Christ's prisoner. He's a prisoner of Christ because, because he's experiencing that shame and, and that um, that prison because of his, of his work with the Lord, for, for the Lord. And, and, and Paul knows that if, if they reject Paul's message, they're not really rejecting Paul, they're rejecting Jesus. Later in, in this chapter, in verse 15, we see uh, that people were deserting Paul. Paul says in verse 15, you are, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and... Hermogenes, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't look that. And the, uh, but they, they abandoned him. He was being abandoned. Uh, and, he, and he's like, are you going to be the one, one of those? Are you going to be ashamed of me too and abandon me too, like the rest of, the, of the, these people? And he exhorts Timothy to be bold. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, nor of Paul, his uh, Christ prisoner. So sometimes we keep, purposely keep our heads down. You know, I, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes there's this, I have a coworker like this that really stands out. They're really vocal about their faith. They, they're really vocal. And, it, and, and they get into some weird conversations. And sometimes you're like, I don't know if I want to be associated with that guy. He's a little bit, you know. 
but, he, but he's a believer in Christ, and we need to stand together uh, with every believer. We shouldn't put our head down and, and not identify with a, a fellow believers, especially when they're uh, facing uh, suffering or shame because of the gospel. We need to stand with them, united with them. And so we're told that, that, that being ashamed of Jesus is not really an option. Paul's telling him not to do this. He's reminding him not to do this, but it's not really an option. You cannot be a true believer in Christ and be ashamed of Christ at the same time. Uh, Jesus makes that very clear in Luke 9, 26. He says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will, I, will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of, of the Father and of the holy angels. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus and ashamed of him at the same time. Our only hope of salvation is Jesus. How can you be ashamed of the one that offers you salvation? He's all we've got to cling to. We cannot be ashamed of him. When we stand before God at the judgment, the only thing, hope we have is that Jesus identifies with us. And he says, that one's mine. I paid for his sin. And so remember Paul's therefore. The command to not be ashamed of Jesus is hinged on the fact that through faith in Jesus, we are indwelled with the Spirit of God. So we don't do this in our own strength, but we do it by the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. That we, that we be bold for the Lord, unashamedly His. That's the first exhortation. The second exhortation is, is that we share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. In verse 8 it says that. He says, but share in the suffering for the, for the gospel by the power of God. And that's not, that's not something you really want to hear, and that's not a popular message. You don't hear that on the TV and radio a whole lot. Um, but it's not a unique to this passage here. Paul says this out lots of places. I'm just going to pull one, though. In Romans 8, 8, 17 and 18, he says, And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not, worthy, not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There is a glory coming that any suffering that we experience here is going to be nothing compared to what's coming. It's not even worth comparing. Jesus says that a student is not above his master. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. So this isn't something we should be surprised when it comes, when we suffer for Christ. And, Pete, and it's not just Peter, but Paul, I mean Paul, but Peter says it also in 1 Peter 4.12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of, of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify, glorify God in that name. So Peter brings up the same things. He's saying, share in Christ's sufferings. And, you, and when you do, you're blessed. And when you do it, don't, do not be ashamed. He brings up the same thing, shame and suffering, as Paul here. 
I, I bring that up to say that it's, that it's, it's not a one-off thing that's said in one passage, but it's all throughout the New Testament, and it's to be expected. P- Peter says, do not be surprised, right? When, when, do not think something strange is happening to you. You knew this was coming. But rather rejoice because you are blessed. When we suffer with Christ, we will also glor- be glorified with Christ. So while many preachers today claim that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, the Apostle Paul would disagree. The Apostle Paul would tell you today that God wants you justified, sanctified, and glorified. And suffering with Christ is a part of that process. So it might look not, you know, what does that look like for us to suffer? It, it, it might not look like what Paul looked like. Paul was facing martyrdom. Right? He, was, he was staring death in the face because of his, his faith in, in Christ. We live in a society that puts up with Christianity. Uh, I think it's turning. I think it's going to get harder and harder. But right now, we don't face that much suffering. But I think that there, there, we do face a sort of suffering. Like, uh, it's not the same extent that Paul did. But the, you know, we might, uh, whether it be passed up for a promotion, you know, well, it, maybe it's just you're ostracized with, with that work, with your friends. You feel out of place. You know, you won't watch the same things they will watch. And they're like, why? What is wrong with you? When you take a stand for Christ, it will, it will cost you something, even in our culture. You might miss out. You'll see, you see all, the, all your friends going on these crazy trips and going here and doing that. And, and, particip- and it looks like so much fun and you, and you feel like you're missing out. There's many ways to suffer for Christ. And so Paul answers a few questions, though. And the first one is, how are we to suffer for Christ? Do we do it in our own strength? He immediately answers that question is, no. We do this by the power of God, not our own strength. And Paul continually, throughout all of his letters, taught this truth that in Christ we are strong when we are weak right? That there's this strength through weakness. And he teaches it very uh, succinctly in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10. This is the passage where Paul talks about this thorn in his flesh, that three times he prayed to the Lord to take away this thorn in his, in his flesh. And on the third time, Jesus responds to him and says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul's not saying we do this in some strength of our own, but we rely on the power of God And I think Paul had to remind Timothy of this, though, because it's not our natural tendency. Our natural tendency is to, is, is to run from suffering, and when we can't run from suffering, to try to double down on our own strength and, and do this. And so he's like, don't, don't rely on any natural talent, any, any natural strength that you have. Run to God, as David does. Let God be your strong tower, mighty fortress, I 
many commenters, because of this passage, believe that Timothy was a very timid person. Right? And that, that he was thrust into leadership during a very difficult time in church history where persecution was coming. And so Paul had to, had to counter this. He had to warn him that, that, that what to do, how to get through this. And, it's not, and it was by directing us away, uh, away from our, our own natural abilities into the great gift which we all possess, and it is the Spirit of God. Our, all, all of our natural talents and giftings and personality traits, they're supplemental to accomplishing the work that God's called us to or to seeing us through times of suffering. That's not where our, our source of strength comes from. Paul reminds us that through all of through life's challenges and, and to, through the work that God calls us, we must rely on the Spirit of God that resides in us, the, the, the power of God that gives us uh, power, love, and self-discipline, as he said earlier. And I love that word power there. That word power in the Greek is, is, um, uh, is dynamis. Uh, no, I'm not pronouncing that right in the Greek. But, but the reason why I pronounce it that way is because it's actually where we get our, our, our English word dynamite. That's the, that's the root word for, for the, our, our English word dynamite. Uh, and, and the definition for that word is power, might, and strength. So David, like with David, David said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. David knew where his help came from. He didn't, he didn't try to do this in his own strength. But I find, I think that we often run from God in times of trouble. When, when times of trouble come, our, our prayer times, they slip. Now, we, maybe we stop reading our Bible. Our church attendance drops. We don't, we don't meditate on, on, on the Lord and his, and his precepts. We even avoid Christian fellowship. And instead, we get caught up in the busyness of this life and we double down on our problems in our own strength. But our problem doesn't need more of us. It needs more of God. That wall that you're facing is not going to come down with a little bit of firecracker power that you've got, but it will fall under the dynamite power of God. We must learn to run toward God in times of suffering and trouble. And I'm not saying that when you do, it's all going to work out the way you think it will. But rather, God will work it out the way he sees fit while empowering us to, to maintain our faith and have peace and joy despite our circumstances. That's what scripture promises. So what trial are you facing right now? What circumstances are going on in your life that you are continually trying, continually trying to tackle in your own strength? And you, mu- you need to give it to the Lord and rely on his power, his might, to see you through. So that's how we are to suffer. But he also answers the question, what are we suffering for? And I think that's always a good thing to keep in mind. When you, when you have to do a difficult task, it's always nice to know why. You know, and I, and, and I, I think of my brother, he, was, he told me a story when he was in, um, in boot camp. He came back from boot camp and told me a story. He, it was one of his first days at boot camp and and they told, he, they told him, okay, this morning you're going to empty this, this building out of everything. We need everything emptied out of this building. So that he went in there and all, all morning, I mean, they were working hard. They were like, we're going to get this done fast. You know, if this is the task that we've got to get done, we're going to get this done fast. And so the whole group, you know, got that, that building empty. And it's all on the lawn. And, and so they're in their mind, they're like, okay, he's, they're, they're going to paint this building. They're going to clean it. They're going to do something with it. And as soon as they were done, they were like, all right, good job. Now put it all back. And he said that second thing, they were doing the same job, moving, the, you know, that same, the second half of that day went by really slow because the reason he now knew why and he didn't like it. 
Knowing the why you do something helps if it's a good reason. And so here, Paul is going to remind Timothy of why he's suffering. And uh, actually, many commenters believe verse 9 and 10 to be an early church hymn or a confession of faith. But either way, Paul is reminding Timothy of, the, of, this, of this, the gospel and what it is that he is suffering for. In verse 9, it says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And which it now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is why we suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, the message, this, this message of salvation through Jesus Christ. God saves us and sanctifies us and glorifies us through Jesus Christ. He justifies us. And what justifying is, is that's God saving us from the penalty of sin. We deserved hell. We rebelled against him. We deserved nothing from him except the, the, the punishment due us. Separation from him in hell was the punishment. And he chose to send Jesus to die on the cross in our place to anyone who would uh, ask him to, 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 to forgive them of their sin and be their Lord and Savior would be forgiven. And we would be free from the penalty of sin because that great exchange happens, that our sin and the punishment was put on, placed on Jesus on the cross. And, and Jesus' righteousness was given to us, imputed to us. The second thing that happens is he sanctifies us. And that's God saving us from the power of sin in our life. God gives us victory over sin in our life in a continual process that five years from now, I'm holier than I was today. 20 years from now, I'm holier than I was today. It's a sanctification process that we are on, a journey that we're on. And it will one day end in glory when we are, when we are glorified. And that is God saving us from the presence of sin altogether. Where we are completely removed from sin and its influences. There will be no more tears, no tears, no more pain, no more death. Everything is made new. That's the gospel that we are to suffer for. And it's interesting that the gospel doesn't end at salvation. He says in verse 9 that, that he saved us and called us to a holy calling. It doesn't, our, God's, God's plan and purpose for us doesn't end at salvation. He calls us to something. As Pastor Josh spoke on last week from 1 Peter 2.9, he says that we are a cho now a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellence of him who called us out of darkness and into marvelous light. That's what you've joined. When you, when you, when you have entered into the family of God, you're now on mission with him. We must all remember that we are called to something, that, that callings aren't just for pastors. You hear pastors talk about their calling a lot, but it's not just a pastor. Every one of you has a calling on your life, that God has called you to something. That he has prepared good works for you in advance that you might walk in them. And then he goes on to say that it's not because of our works, and this is still in verse 9, but because of his own purpose and grace, 
which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. It is a free gift. If, if this was his purpose and plan before uh, the ages began, before the foundations of the world were laid, this was his purpose and plan, then we had nothing to do with it. It's not because he looked at Reese Carge and thought, there's something special about Reese Carge, I'm going to save him. No, it was despite of Reese Carge that he saved me. It is a free gift of salvation given to us. It is all of grace that no man should boast. And rightly understanding this has two important outworkings that we must keep, keep in mind. One is it, it will keep us humble when we continually are, are drawn to the fact that we are saved by God's grace. We didn't earn it. We didn't even ask for it. He saved us, a free gift of salvation. It keeps us humble, and it deepens our gratitude in him. There is no room for pride when we understand the gospel. Second is it gives us a source of strength, and it quiets our fears and helps us to be bold. Because if we are saved by God's power, then we will be kept, uh, by, uh, kept saved by his power right? We don't have to fear our future. Our future is secure. And, enable, and then it enables us to do the work that he's called us to do, because it's all, it's all by his power. We, we are just his um, hands and feet, but it's his power. And we're just the conduits that he uses here on earth to, to accomplish the work. But it's by his power, and so we can be bold in the faith. We don't need to fear And then he talks about why we suffer or when we, we should expect to suffer. In verse 11, he says, For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Later in 2 Timothy 3.12, he's going to say, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He's like, the reason I suffer is not anything I've, like, uh, like uh, because of Paul. I suffer because I am a, an apostle and a preacher and a teacher of this gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I suffer. Verse 10 says that the salvation was brought to light through the gospel. And Paul is continuing that work of bringing the gospel to light. And it's why he suffers. So we've all been been given the calling to make disciples of all nations, to be light in this world. And so we should expect suffering. We are most likely to suffer for Christ when we're making the gospel known. Paul suffered because he spoke boldly the gospel. And he spoke boldly the gospel because he believed it was worth it. Paul could lay down his life and suffer because he believed God was worth it. Because he believed the gospel was worth it. Because he believed people and their souls were worth it. Paul found Jesus so immeasurably precious and beautiful that he was willing to suffer. I like this quote by David Platt. He says, Religious people find God useful, but cross-bearing disciples find him beautiful. There's a difference. Religious people want something from God, but true believers, cross-bearing disciples, they find Jesus precious and beautiful, a treasure. Is Jesus pre- so precious to you that you're willing to lay down your life and it be gain? You're gaining something. 
What about this? Like, that seems so far-fetched, you know, because we're not under persecution here. What about this, though? Do you find Jesus so precious that he's worth laying down your hobby? That he's worth laying down your time and energy, like giving that up for him, in service to him? What about your comfort, getting outside your comfort zone? If we can't do such a small thing, how could we believe that we would do such a big thing? And then the last thing he, he, go, he talks about is when we suffer, where does our, our, our confidence come from? And in verse 12, I, I love this verse. He says, but I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. I love this, because for Paul, it's personal. He doesn't say his confidence comes for the, from a set of doctrines, but from a person he knows. I love that. Christianity is more than just a mere belief system, but it's a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Savior. So even though Paul is in a shameful place, Paul declares that he is not ashamed because his confidence and his trust is in Christ. I know whom I have believed. Paul knows that one day in Christ, he will be vindicated. He doesn't need to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. This, this, it ends, that, that verse ends with a tricky bit of Greek. And so the, the, the ESV in, uh, translated, translated entrusted to me. You know, that he's able to guard what he has been entrusted to me. But other, other, other Bible translations, like the King James Version, uh, says that, he, uh, that I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. The Greek, the Greek words there can be translated either way, and context is really what's supposed to tell you which way to uh, interpret it. Uh, and I think the reason why they struggle there, because I think it doesn't matter. Either way, Paul is still talking about the same thing. Whether, it, it's, whether he, he's saying what it, I, that, that God is going to guard what's been entrusted to me. Well, what's been entrusted to Paul? The gospel. The God is going to uphold the gospel. This gospel that Paul is giving his life for, that he is betting his soul on. So in essence, he is trusting God with his soul. And, if, and, and then if, if, he, if he's saying that, that God is able to guard that which I've entrusted to him, then it's definitely his soul. So either way, I think the, the, it, Paul is saying that I can trust the Lord with my soul. I do not need to fear. I'm not uh, uh, worrying. That's the big takeaway, that Paul's boldness doesn't come from self-confidence, but from God-confidence. And so too, our confidence needs to come through knowing whom we have trusted. Do you know whom you, you have trusted? Are you reading his work, teachings and getting to know him? Are you spending time in prayer talking to him? Paul left, left his ministry and the gospel and his very soul in the hands of Jesus. And there's no safer place. If you have never given your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, today's the day. Do not let that moment pass. Talk to Pastor Josh or myself after the service. You can know for sure you can have the confidence that Paul has. Because as Paul is writing this letter, he is facing death. He knows he's going to die for Jesus. And he knows that his life was well spent, his soul was well kept, and his future in glory with Jesus was well worth suffering for. So Emmanuel, let us follow in Paul's footsteps. Let us suffer with Jesus knowing it's worth it. It's worth it. We're trading trinkets for treasure here. 
The gospel is worth it. The souls of our kids are worth it. The soul of our spouse is worth it. The soul of your friend and family member is worth suffering for. And most importantly, Jesus is worth suffering for. Our future with him in glory is worth suffering for. Let's pray. My God, you are a good God. I thank you for your salvation that you have offered us through Jesus Christ. We didn't do anything to deserve it. We didn't even ask for it. You came to us. By grace, we are saved. Lord, I pray that you are precious to every one of us, that we would be willing to suffer for you, trading trinkets for treasure. God, I pray as as we get bold in our faith for you, that we would see Emmanuel renewed and strengthened and, and grow and that we would, we would see your kingdom grow as we reach our, our city for you. Be with us, Lord. We don't seek to do it in our own strength, in our own power, but you have given us your spirit that indwells us, a spirit that gives us power, love, and self-control. Let us work out of that strength. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Reese. This last song, ladies and gentlemen, is a really good song to close the service with. But as I put it in the list, I realized that there's probably a lot of us here who haven't sung it. And there's probably those of, those of us here who have sung it have not sung it for a few years because it was back when Pastor Bird was here. So I'm going to refresh your memories and then then we'll go ahead and get us started, all right? May the peace.